Today's episode of the DC3Cast is brought to you by Comixology. Immerse yourself in over 20,000 digital comic books, graphic novels, and manga titles from over 125 publishers with Comixology. Our first-in-class, exclusive guide to view technology provides an unparalleled, immersive, and cinematic reading experience for readers. Purchase a la carte titles or start a monthly unlimited account to save 15% on select publishers. Still not sold? Try an unlimited subscription free for 30 days and see why thousands of readers trust Comixology for both classic and new releases from DC, Image, Marvel, and more. Folks, welcome back to the DC Three Cast. My name is Brian. With me, as always, are Zach and Vince, and we are joined for part two of our Infinite Crisis discussion by Mr. James Johnson. Hello again, James. Hey. So we uh, last week, in case you missed that show, you should go back and listen to it. We talked about all the lead up to Infinite Crisis, the four miniseries, the countdown special, the Superman sacrifice uh, arc, and some other miscellaneous odds and ends. But here we are now at the beginning of Infinite Crisis. And uh, to take us there is Mr. Zach Wilkerson. All right. So Infinite Crisis kicks off um, with a, a moment that I'm actually still not, to this day, 100% sure where it actually happens. I think it's in JLA. Um, but basically, the the JLA watchtower that was set up in Grant Morrison's JLA run and was kind of their base um, until this point has been blown up. And... John Jones, Martian Manhunter is missing, and uh, the Trinity, um, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman kind of convene in the wreckage to try to figure out what's going on. Um, they are they are all very very peeved at each other for various reasons, various various little misgivings, things that have happened. Like uh, Batman made Wonder Woman read way too many comics in one week, and he's really upset about it. Um, <laughs> That, that's, that, that's, that's a way deep offline joke and i didn't make you do a goddamn thing you're part of the show like i'm part of the show oh one of us one of us is the dad of the show and it's batman everyone knows that batman's the dad of the of the trinity he's dad you're, you're the you're daddy of the podcast and if if vince and i don't read our comics you chain us up in your basement for the next <laughs> week with no food um you hold our t-shirts hostage please first of all Vince would have read three times as many comics if we didn't assign anything. Vince would be like, yeah, I read all 1956 DC comics this week. Like, so don't even start about reading too many comics. No, uh, he just he just gets upset by all the mean things you say to him. Which, yeah. like when you tell him the only time he ever inspired any, anyone was when he was dead. That was a really mean <laughs> thing to say, Brian. <laughs> Can we get back that to was a fucked up thing for Brian please? to whisper to me at the Mountain Goats concert last <laughs> exactly, year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, 
so yeah, they're they're all upset with each other uh, for all of the things that we talked about in the countdown episode. Go listen to that. Um, but Batman finds the black box that has all the information that they're going to need, and he, Why didn't he they goes... make the whole uh, tower out of the black box. I don't know. Can I say something really, just really quick about the Superman? Last time you inspired anyone was when you were dead. That line is Jeff Johns's favorite line in the comic, and you know it is because there's several other points and other tie-in stuff where people go, "Lois, it was Batman. He roasted my ass. You wouldn't believe what he said. He said the last time I inspired anyone, I was dead. Isn't that such a good line? God damn! Like he, there's like several line times." Where people bring up how good that one line is over the course <laughs> it, of Infinite Crisis. It, it's good, but I know for a fact it's not his favorite line because his favorite line is the one that he didn't get to use until uh, the New 52 incarnation of JLA where <laughs> Hawkman <laughs> walks into the room and <laughs> throws his bloody mace on the table and is like, it's not my blood. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff Johns mentioned that in every interview he did for like three years before it actually came out. Can he do that? <laughs> Oh, he did. Buddy, they don't even like me. what would it happen if it was Hawkman's blood? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'm probably misquoting it, too, but it's something along those lines. No, it, it's basically like, what happened, you know, Hawkman? He's like, not my blood or whatever it is. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's, yeah. My favorite is in the beginning of uh, Aquaman, uh, the New 52 reboot. Where Aquaman's at like the fish restaurant and uh, someone's like, Aquaman, don't you talk to fish? And then he like turns around. And he goes, "I'm not gay," and that's the end of the Yeah. Oh man, but like talking about Jeff Johns though, like I, I would say that Blackest Night is like Johns at like the peak of his powers. <laughs> uh, but this is like, this is where he comes into his kingdom, don't you think? Like with this series. Um, <laughs> I'd when we say mean maybe, powers, do we mean like a good story or like I don't, he has I don't necessarily, rain? I don't, yeah, that. This is him getting the keys to the kingdom. Yeah. Yeah, but I would say that this is a less, how should I say this? I feel like there is, there's a better story in DC, in uh, Green Lantern Rebirth. And there's a better story in his JSA stuff than this story itself. I feel like this is him ascending to the throne of DC Comics, but this is not his best work. Well, that's what I meant. This is him him coming into his throne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This this is this is him. Um, because because he had already kind of been, I guess, like, uh, you know, I guess Wonderkin for DC for a little bit with his Flash and JSA and Teen Titans runs. Um, kind of just a little, you know, a little darling. Um, there's a comparison that's showing up in my head between comic book writers and professional wrestlers, where <laughs> of the bigger the comic book they write, it's kind of like how when a pro wrestler wins a title, you're like, oh my god, that's like the world title. They must be the best wrestler of all time. Uh, and then when a comic book creator gets like a big event, it's just a big event, but like it's not like they actually like went through the whole infinite like it, 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 it like updates their profile in a way that doesn't actually reflect their writing their like actual like storytelling yeah sure yeah yeah, yeah. um but anyway digress um cut that cut it, that comparison out no, no it was good it was good um 
there's a lot of stuff. Um, we kind of check in with the, uh, I guess, like status quos from the various miniseries. Like we see the Wonder Woman, Maxwell Lord stuff on the news. We see uh, Teen Titans fighting the Omax, uh, but Connor's not with them because important important note. Um, I can't remember which series referenced this beforehand, but um, before this was the Teen Titans story, also written by Jeff Johns, that was uh, that revealed that Connor Kent is uh, half Superman, half Lex Luthor, and he Lex Luthor's out on everyone and almost kills. Uh, is it Wonder Girl? He almost Cassie, kills someone. Yeah, yeah, he almost kills someone, and so he is. Um, back with the Kents, um, just chilling on their couch, um, kind of afraid to to get involved because of, of what he might do, which is very similar to um, what happened with Superman being controlled by Maxwell Lord. I think that's where it was referenced. It had to have been in, in OMAC or Sacrifice, one of those two. Uh, you know that, um, like, where that Lex Luthor, Superman being the genetic makeup of Superboy thing comes from, right? Yeah, so there was a, I believe it's an issue of Super, it, it was either an issue of Superboy or Teen Titans where a young Jeff Johns wrote in and said, like, I know Superboy is half human, half Kryptonian DNA, wouldn't it be cool if it was Lex Luthor? And the editor was like, that would never happen, that's not what happened, and then Johns became a writer and made that happen. <laughs> Johns' whole that's career legit. is just validating yeah. his fan fiction, which honestly, go off. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he uh, he is the success story that we all aspire to. He he's the one of us who actually he, he got to live his dream until he's, he's canceled. The guy at the end of the Eltingville Club, uh, who <laughs> when they all re- regroup and they're at New York Comic Con and they're all adults. There's the one who says that he has some connections at DC and he's going to be able to play with the toy box and say what happens to his favorite characters. That's Jeff Johns. I don't absolutely. get the reference, but absolutely, that is that is apt. Um, we uh, read the Eltingville Club. It is the anti-life equation of comic books. <laughs> <laughs> it's very good. Okay. Um. Yeah, we like I said, we kind of check in with everything. We we get the first hint of the um, the four original Crisis survivors. We don't actually see them, but. Um, we their first tease kind of early on in this issue um there's a lot of stuff with uh uncle sam and the freedom fighters going up against the the uh society from villains united and this is just just this is the beginning i don't know if this is like the first time that john's ever instructed a writer to just i mean a a illustrator to you know just depict someone being dismembered in the most like violent and graphic way that they can. But, um, this was, this was definitely my first time being introduced to that John's trope. Yeah. Uh, most of the freedom fighters are just destroyed. Are just handed their ass in this, in this battle. I believe only damage and maybe uncle Sam survive. And, I and the, the Ray. Ray. Oh, and the Ray. Yes. Cool. Yes. The Ray. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's taken, but he's, he doesn't, we don't really see him in action until the end of the series because he's tied to a tower. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, so the Freedom Fighters 
get um, most mostly massacred, except for the ones that we mentioned. Uh, Mongols shows up on the moon uh, to fight the Trinity, and Wonder Woman almost kills him. Which um, I don't know who it was on Twitter. It might have been you, James. Uh, talked about how after Wonder Woman killed Maxwell Lord, Maxwell Lord, she kind of just becomes this bloodthirsty warlord for a while. I, it's she, I, she, she like kills Maxwell Lord, and she was like, "Oh, that was actually pretty easy," and then like applies that situation to everyone, including Mongol. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, which then I, I'm, I haven't read Gail Simone's Wonder Woman comic. I imagine it probably walks some of that back. Um, but then like Brian Azzarello makes her the actual God of War in New Fifty Two. Um. I don't know. Vince is the Wonder Woman expert. He he could probably write a, a very well uh, developed and and thought out thesis about the nature of Wonder Woman and <sighs> whether or not this is a good take on her. I um, mean, I I read that uh, like three years ago, so it's like ancient history now. So <laughs> okay, yeah. It's my take on this is that around this time, I feel like. There was this idea that DC was treating its Trinity like they were too perfect, and so you have to see all of them fuck up in the lead-up to Infinite Crisis. And I feel like the way they make Superman fuck up is by him like hallucinating people killing Lois in the Sacrifice mini. And the way you see Batman fuck up is him overreact. Well, not overreact, I guess appropriately react to being mind-wiped Identity Crisis, but there wasn't, like, that event for Wonder Woman to react to. So they just decided, after she killed Maxwell Lord, to just turn her into this, like, bloodthirsty warrior, which works for this story, but doesn't work for who she is as a character at almost any other point in her history until Azarello and Chang's run. When you say Batman was responding appropriately, are you saying that the Patriot Act was justified? Yes, of course I was. Okay, that's what I thought. That's what All I politics gets thrown out in comic books because, <laughs> like, like whenever they're like the anti the superhero registration act would be bad. It's like no, I kind of would like some accountability. <laughs> or like, like, yeah, I kind of do want some accountability if someone could grow up to be explosive and blow up a school bus of children. I would be a total fascist in the Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, that is the logical conclusion of all superhero comics, I think. Um, that's why every story ends with Superman or Batman. That's why the dark multiverse exists. Yes. Um, because they're all fascists. Um, we see the pi- psycho pirate. He is the one who has uh, captured the Ray. He's very important because he's one of the only people left who remember the pre-crisis uh status quo um we get the, the famous <laughs> yes yes um we get that the the famous line of of batman to to superman just kind of dissing on him dunking him and then uh, issue one ends with the big reveal um this is a job for Superman, but it's not. It's not just any Superman. It's the it's the Earth Two Superman and the the four survivors of Crisis on Infinite Earths: uh, Earth Two Superman, Earth Two Lois, Earth Three Alexander Luther, and Superboy Prime are they're back and they're, they're here to make things good again. 
Yeah. So remember how I said that the one of the, one of the first things I read from DC was Crisis on Infinite Earths? Yes. Mm-hmm. So then I really got into DC like reading everything around the time of Identity Crisis. And then that pretty much bled into this. So at the time I thought, oh, this is just like these characters are just really important to DC. They they probably use them all the time. They're probably, you know, <laughs> you don't realize like I didn't realize until later that we basically hadn't seen any of these characters since Christ on Infinite Earths. Right. Um, so I had no idea at the time. Like, first of all, I had n- no idea about anything when it, like I was I was the guy who was like, I'm 12 years old. And what is this? You know, um, and so like when I read this, I had no idea that that reveal. I just thought pre-crisis Superman was just like, oh, Earth 2 just exists. And he's just he he's he's around all the time. You know, <laughs> I had no idea. I don't know why what what I'm supposed to be saying with that story. No, I mean I, I I think that's actually really interesting. I think that there's a when you have Wikipedia at your fingertips to tell you all of this, it can be very hard to get a sense of just how unique or special certain things are because it's just reduced to like a an item on a 20-minute Wikipedia read. But Yeah. But when you think back, I mean, if you hadn't read Crisis on Infinite Earths before this, or if you didn't have Wikipedia to rely on, I don't know how you would possibly understand this series. (laughs) There's a lot here that is directly referencing stuff that happened in that, at this point, uh, was it 20 years old at this point, or almost 20 years old? It was, yeah, it was 20-ish. This was the 20th anniversary. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. I I must have just picked it up from Wikipedia. Um, but yeah, that's issue one. Any any big takeaways or anything? Um, let me check my notes here to make sure I'm not forgetting anything. No, I I feel like this issue, along with maybe the next two, are really just setting the stage for what the event will become. Yeah, definitely. The one other thing I'll say is, um, you know the. The, the premise of this ends up being that the these people from from crisis who are uh, watching over the heroes of the current earth looking at it and, and seeing how bad everything is and how everything is wrong um, that seems to be you know knowing what we know now that's like the thesis of Jeff John's career but I think it's funny that, you know, if if that's the way that he sees superheroes now, he's not doing anything to actually solve that problem. <laughs> yes, he keeps he keeps writing the same story. Like, um, thinking about like three Jokers that just came out. It you know part of part of his thing with Doomsday Clock was, uh, Watchmen and stories like Watchmen spoil a little something about what's good about superhero comics and then he just goes and writes like the exact same story that he's critiquing oh for sure well and i was even like surprised on this reread just how much doomsday clock is infinite crisis redux yep yeah 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 it's why especially with like the importance of superman stressing the importance of superman and all that stuff Mm -hmm. yeah it's just funny that he like I don't know if he's being disingenuous when he 
when he makes that his thesis or if he's just incapable of pivoting away from that uh, vision of superheroes, you know? I, I feel like maybe he thinks that he is setting the stage for others to pick up the ball and run with it. But, because, <laughs> no, one but, but no one ever does. Yeah, because I don't know if everyone else shares his his belief on this, you know, and so or, or he's just not in the position to mandate that. But if you think about it, like that is that is the thesis of Infinite Crisis. That is the thesis of the DC Rebirth one shot. That is the thesis of Doomsday Clock. It's, you know, a, a lot of his major even I mean, even his um, Green Lantern Rebirth is somewhat about like recapturing the goodness at the heart of Green Lantern. Like, mm-hmm. all, all of it is very much about returning superheroes to this idyllic version that he believes that they... or this idyllic place where that they should occupy, but then he never quite brings them all the way there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um... So issue two opens up with Animal Man, um, Buddy Baker. Buddy Baker, which is so it's so weird for me to read this now um, in a time a, like post fifty two, and um, like new fifty two Jeff Lemire realm where like the only big Animal Man story to this point was Grant Morrison's Animal Man, um, and I it's just. It's just funny how, like, I mean, to me, Animal Man is not, like, a C-list character, even though he, like, clearly is. Um, but he's, like, played as a, very much, like, a C or D-list character here at the beginning um, as he's kind of talking to his wife and kids about this mission he's going to have to go on, um, where he meets up with uh, Donna Troy on New Cronus, along with a bunch of other heroes, um, Cyborg, Starfire, Firestorm... Alan Scott and Jade, uh, Supergirl, Red Tornado, a bunch of people, and this has this has big crisis on Infinite Earth energy. Um, this is, this is like that first big scene where they all appear on the monitor's satellite, mm-hmm. uh, which is cool. Um, we let's see. Um, we find Power Girl fighting the Society, um, and she meets um earth 2 superman who comes along and um they are reintroduced to each other uh we find out that the luther who's leading the society he needs a marvel character and so he's he's working with uh savannah and some some other characters to try to track down one of the marvel family um then we get this big information dump about the history of the DC multiverse. Um, I think I don't have it in my notes here, but I think we get the Krona bit uh, in this section um, that James riffed on earlier. Um, we get the explanation of how Power Girl survived, and we also find out that Earth Two Lois is dying, um, which uh, part of the the Survivor's mission is figuring out how to save her. Um, we cut away to Booster Gold uh, coming back from the future. So at the, at the end of uh, OMAC Project, he left and returned to the future. And now he's come back with information uh, about the Blue Beetle Scarab, which uh, didn't mention this, but uh, was uh, in the Rock of Eternity and fell to Earth 
during the days uh the day of vengeance miniseries so he is uh, on the trail of the blue beetle scarab uh, we get a quick Joker um, appearance. Um, which which is, of the three Jokers is this, Vince? It's Vince's um, Only Vince can decide this. Uh, which one? Go for it now. Come on. Hurry up. Which one is it? It's the uh, the comedian. Okay. Sorry, know. Zach. I, I had to let Vince determine, determine no, which Joker he's, it was. He's, he's the most apt because he's the most twisted of all of us. Exactly. Um yeah, he Joker is upset because he hasn't gotten an invite to Lexus Society. Um, cut back to Power Girl. She touches Lois, uh, Earth 2 Lois, and gets all of her memories back. Um, we um, get a, a short scene with Bruce trying to um, reaccess OMAC. We cut away to Wonder Woman on Paradise Island where, or Bruce is connecting to Brother Eye, I should say, to be more precise with my language. Um, Wonder Woman is fighting the Omax on uh, Themyscira with all of the Amazons. And we find out that the current objective of the Omax is to eliminate all of the Amazons. And I don't know why I wrote this. I don't know what it was in reference to exactly. But at the end I, of my notes for issue two, I wrote, Make Earth Great Again. Um, <laughs> so Mega... Oh. That's uh, is pre-crisis Superman freaking Donald Trump. <laughs> it is weirdly unsettling how the sentiments of disgruntled comic book readers mirror the disillusionment <laughs> of the middle class white. <laughs> I mean, that's everyone in America after 9-11. Like I'm watching Sopranos right now and the entire thing is me going, God, I wish... I could return to a pre nine eleven America. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, no, just, like everything now that just is just nostalgia. And it's like yeah. remember when things used to be nice. Remember when things used to be better. And Infinite Crisis, like a lot of Jeff Johns' stuff is built on that. Because even if you want to po- uh, posit that he's trying to do like um, sort of like what Grant Morrison talked about in Flex Mentale about like a fourth new modern age of heroes, where there's some of the darkness, but we work through it to like create this new adventure. All of his comics are basically sold on the idea of like, hey, remember Barry Allen? We got Barry Allen again. He's cool again. Everything's good. Comic books are just like you read them when you were in high school. Yeah, there, there is a, there's a, especially because, like, he does such, he does such a great job of bringing back a lot of what made the JSA great when he took over JSA from James Robinson and David Goyer. But I feel like because of that, he just he that became his thing. To like bring back old characters, and when you when you look at his work through that lens, like each each thing he's done has just been bringing back different Silver Age characters. Like this this book is him bringing back uh, the multiverse slash uh, you know the, uh, the the crisis characters. Obviously, Green Lantern and Flash Rebirth are those characters. Um, his part of Fifty Two is all about bringing back Connor Kent, who's not been gone that long, but has been gone, you know, uh, a little bit at this point. His uh, Blackest Night is about bringing back those, like, 13 or whatever characters at the end. Brightest Day is giving those characters new stories. Like, all of his stuff is very much bringing back characters from the past. And then he ran out of DC characters to do that for, and he did Alan Moore characters, or exactly. Alan Moore stories. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. The, the analysis of this era of comics is, is a mess. Because, I mean, there is all of that, but even like I talked about in the Identity Crisis episode, that's all about how 
even the comics that you read and remember reading, they actually like weren't good because right. retcons <laughs> show that Dr. Light was raping people. So like even in the Silver Age, things were awful. So I, it's all it's all muddied. I don't know. Um, There's so many comic books that are just messy subtweets of other comic books. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> yes. Like I know everyone like cracks on like Grant Morrison. Like even Grant Morrison. Like I was reading Multiversity, and he has a part where he's like, uh, where someone like complains about uh, Grant Morrison doing like another meta thing about superheroes. But, like, there's so much of comic books that are just, like, man, this era used to be good. But now this era, it's not so good. (laughs) And, like, there's no other medium where, like, halfway through a movie, they're like, man, do you remember other movies? It's so much better. They would just do a movie. They're doing those now, though, James. (laughs) James, I know. I'm trying to avoid those. Have have you read uh, Morrison's Green Lantern any? I like watched, read the first couple issues, and then I decided that Grant Morrison ascended to another plane after finishing uh, the Return of Bruce Wayne. <laughs> well, he he had like in between the two seasons of Green Lantern, he did this little three issue miniseries called uh, Black Stars, and it's essentially just him subtweeting other creators the whole time. That um, sucks. It, he does he does like a Bendis riff. Yeah, yeah it's it's pretty overt. Um, yeah. Okay, issue three um, opens up with everyone's favorite Sub Diego, um, Aquaman and Mera are doing stuff while the Spectre attacks Atlantis, and Temp- uh, Tempest does the laser eyes thing where he looks straight up, which I feel like at least like half of the times that I see Tempest in a comic, he's doing that. Um, I think it's a Phil Jimenez thing, which I never said man, I'm terrible at this. Uh, Phil Jimenez is the main artist of this book. (laughs) Um, Along the way, we also get uh, some George Perez, Jerry Ordway, uh, Joe Bennett, Ivan Reyes, a lot of of artists um, who all paired generally pretty well together. But Phil Jimenez was the initial primary artist and I think is still the main artist at this point. Um, Let's see. Um... Bruce is in his cave brooding, kind of just wishing he could he could start over and do everything differently, um, just kind of remorseful for the way things have turned, uh, which conveniently Earth 2 Superman shows up um, to, to talk with him and kind of get him onto his side. Um, we get a scene with Power Girl and Lois, and this is where we kind of first get the inkling that Superboy Prime is not quite... Uh, the best guy um he he kind of like very forcefully uh tries to coerce power girl into joining their side and kind of helping them and we also get the first uh uh seeds of the superboy prime connor kent rivalry um we meet jaime reyes for the first time um he's hanging out with his friends and uh, the Shadow Pact is around kind of dealing with the the fallout of the Rock of Eternity exploding over Gotham, uh, which happened in the Day of Vengeance series. And the Blue Beetle Scarab uh, hitches a ride with Jaime. Um, we find uh, Donna's crew on the new Cronus at the big uh, black hole event that formed at the end of Ranthanagar War. Um we get um, 
an appearance of Wally West. He shows up. He's going to end up playing a big role eventually in this series as uh, a crisis should have a flash. He, he plays a big role. Many flashes play a big role in this. Many flashes died um, <laughs> to bring this information. Um, <laughs> Earth 2, uh, Superman uh, shows Bruce all about Earth 2, and we get that great scene where he... Um, actually, this may come a little bit later, but in, in this segment um bruce asks you know if if everything about their his earth earth one is is worse than earth two and specifically he asks if his dick grayson is worse than the earth two one and and superman has to kind of be like well no he's not um which is kind of um the beginning of the baiting that nightwing might die in this which was a big rumor and something that dan didio apparently really wanted to do but is also kind of in my mind, the the beginning of this um, positioning of Dick as kind of like the center of the DC universe, the one that it's just sort of everyone likes and kind of the natural successor to really like the whole Trinity. He kind of embodies all of them a little bit and he's the best. And that's why um, James Robinson made him the leader of the Justice League and he was the leader of Justice League forever and James Robinson wrote Justice League <laughs> for 100 issues and it was really good. Um, let's see. Um, in order to protect uh, the basically like the morality of the Amazons um, and to keep uh, them from kind of besmirching their, their peaceful nature by going ham on a bunch of Omax, um, Wonder Woman kind of makes uh, Paradise Island disappear and take all of the Amazons along with it. And so Themyscira is gone. Wonder Woman is the only one left behind. Uh, the two Lex Luthers fight. And I think this is when pretty, pretty soon around this time is when the Alexander Luther reveal happens where we find out that the Lex who is leading the society is actually Earth 3 Alexander Luther. And we find out that he's built this giant tower antenna multiversal tuning fork from the corpse of the anti-monitor and he has collected and affixed onto it martian manhunter black adam lady quark the ray and breach and at the end of the issue bruce finally decrypts the black box and finds out that it was superboy prime who blew up the watchtower and took martian manhunter big stuff Yeah. Um, Superboy Prime is pretty based. Thank God you said that. Yes, yeah, <laughs> Superboy Prime rocks so fucking hard. Superboy Prime. He kicks is up. my favorite. He's my favorite Jeff Johns character by a long shot. He is the he is the best Jeff Johns character. He he should have shown up in Doomsday Clock. Oh yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. He shows up in uh, Shazam this week. Yep. Ooh. <laughs> uh no superboy prime is just a, like the funnest character to come out of this because like I, I, like yeah he's just a deranged he is the most i've ever enjoyed an evil superman character and every other evil superman character is a pale imitation of superboy prime it's, what, it's what, fantastic go ahead brian uh, what i love about superboy prime is that like very early on you realize he's just a shithead 
and they never try to convince you otherwise. <laughs> they just lean <laughs> into him being the worst possible character. And because of that, you can enjoy him for who he is. There's no point in these stories where you're supposed to think, am I wrong about Superboy Prime? Should I be thinking that he's right about all this? Like, no, he's instantly established as as a bad character, and that allows them to do interesting things with him. He sucks. <laughs> he's like the guy who just he he. He's the guy who keeps complaining about how, like, things aren't as good as they used to be. But also, he wasn't really around for when things <laughs> used to be good. He right. shows up halfway through Crisis and in Infinite Earths and, like, hey, I'm uh, I'm from Earth and it just blew up. And everyone's like, okay, well, help out. And at the end, he goes into the like, – like, he doesn't, like, actually – he never had, like, a good life in the pre-Crisis universe. He showed up for a minute and then everything <laughs> went to hell. Yes. Yeah. I. It's funny how he's not – a Jeff Johns creation, although for all intents and purposes, he kind of is because like this, this version of the character is like all Johns. And he's one of my favorite pet characters too, because he goes on to star in pretty much every other major event that Johns wrote <laughs> until flashpoint. And, and it's, it's good every time it's good in Sinestro core war. It's good in uh Legion of three worlds, his blackest night, uh, he has the funnest issues. Black so good, the best best one. Um, but yeah, um, Super Superboy Prime is great, and yeah, he is he is back in in Shazam. I think this is the last Jeff Johns issue of Shazam, though, right? Yeah. Yep. I believe um, so. I I haven't read it yet. I'm I might actually be flipping through it right now as we are recording <laughs> just to see what just to see what happens. <laughs> Uh, I want Superboy Prime to be back and good again. If Jeff Johns only wrote one comic for the rest of all time, I would want it to be... He's the just... fourth Joker. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, I want it. I want it. Um, oh, man. Yeah. Anything else about issue three? No, I mean, a lot of, the fireworks a lot of stuff factory, which is issue. Superboy Prime versus Teen Titans issue four. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, first we have to talk about a little bit about the Day of Vengeance special because that comes next chronologically. Yes. Um. So this is the first of these one-shot issues that follow up on the miniseries, and are basically like the unofficial seventh issue, I guess. But but they are dealing with the events of Infinite Crisis, and and so mostly this issue is. Uh, following up with the with the Rock of Eternity being destroyed, all of the magical characters get together to kind of try to deal with the Spectre, who is still an issue, even though he's not um, under the the snare of Eclipso anymore. Um, but really, mostly this issue is Shadow Pact collecting the Seven Deadly Sins, uh, which is kind of fun, um, and then kind of setting up the new status quo for specter dr fate and kind of magic in general yeah, and the I, I was gonna say this is like the thesis for magic for the next few years yeah which leads into the thing that i found out today um which i read unsourced on wikipedia so i'm sure it's true um that grant morrison said in an interview that michael moorcock wrote a magic bible for dc comics sometime around this oh my god time. epic wow. yeah you um, guys can't see it i'm doing this while i face 
So I'm, I want to research more about that. Um, the, just in the in inter- 20 years, DC will publish that after it's leaked on the internet as part of like DC they'll Comics, publish- the 2000s. Yes. They'll publish just a letter between Moorcock and DC about how he was supposed to do that. Yeah. But they won't publish the actual... Michael Moorcock wrote it for himself, and then he like put it under his pillow, and <laughs> that was it. Uh, uh, just, just like the inner workings of DC right now, this is this is when like the DC architects were were Johns, Morrison, Rucka, Wade. Yeah. yeah, and it's just the wildest stuff. It's it's like that the the Grant Morrison, Mark Wade, Superman era that was supposed to happen four years before didn't didn't materialize so this is the 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 follow-up to that yeah this is the revenge and (laughs) uh it's the best um but there's also some weird uh, sorry this is also a weird time as a bunch of people who had prominent roles at dc were doing almost nothing like james robinson wasn't writing at dc at this point paul levitz was i believe still like in the in the management side but he wasn't writing anything for them at no. this point. Uh, so a lot of the names that have been like associated with DC for a decade or so were not doing much. I mean, even Grant Morrison, this is after his JLA run? Yes. Way after, yeah. Later, yeah. yeah. But like he, he had left after JLA. Right, yeah. So they they kind of shunned him a little bit. Right. And so, he's about to come back. Right. So it's just a very, very weird time for DC in general. And that's when you get randos writing superman and stuff like that did i read that that morrison had something of an editorial role you did read that and i think he did at this point that's wild that's what i'm saying like i think john's i read that john's morrison and wade were all given a degree of editorial control over all of dc at this point they were the architects the marvel architects they were before the marvel architects were a thing yeah the DC uh, four. Which one? Which one wore the skull sweater? Uh, uh John's. Time traveling okay. Scott Snyder. Uh, yes. Okay. Um, that's that's pretty much all I have to say about the Day of Vengeance thing. Um, the Spectre is defeated by Doctor Fate. Um, well, he's not necessarily defeated. He he is made to go so crazy, so so Alex Jones that God notices and. <laughs> makes him go to a new body and dr fate who at this point is actually just naboo just the helmet um is wounded and destroyed and and killed um but the helmet still exists and bobo throws it into orbit someone does captain marvel bobo tells him to do it yes you're right you're right um in order to find a new host and oh, important status quo change for Captain Marvel. Um, Shazam, the wizard, died, and um, Captain Marvel now is bound to the Rock of Eternity. And and kind of essentially, my understanding is he becomes the new wizard. Essentially, yes, he, he gets does. a sweet all all white outfit. Yeah. Um, yeah, and yeah. the tenth age of magic begins. Shortly Never after to this, be referenced again. Yeah. Uh, shortly after this, like in the lead up to Final Crisis, a couple years later, we see Freddie Freeman become the new. So his his name becomes Shazam. Captain Marvel's name just becomes Marvel. 
because they can't say Captain Marvel anymore because of Marvel Comics, and Mary is somehow still Mary Marvel. Yeah, that's all. All right. Um. Okay, Infinite Crisis number four. Um, Chemo gets dropped on Bloodhaven, and probably like I think the most uh, iconic scene in this whole series. Uh, do we skip something, Zaki? Did we? Didn't Zaki? we? Didn't we skip? Um, Infinite I Crisis read Secret, Secret Files. Files. I read it later. That's why. Okay, it's. Um, I believe this is had it after five. Okay, I believe this is where it falls chronologically. Not in my reading order, it doesn't. Oh, but well, uh, Zach's Zach's leading. Uh, Infinite Crisis Secret Files comes later. Okay, we can we can talk about it now. I honestly don't have a lot to say about it. Um, well, the one the one note I have about this issue that I think is really interesting is that this is another example of Infinite Crisis having all of its most important stuff happen not in Infinite Crisis. Like yeah. this, this issue lays out pretty much the entire uh, Superboy Prime Alexander Luthor plan. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So, 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 Secret Files and Origins, Infinite Crisis, um, written by Marv Wolfman, and illustrated by quite a, quite a few people. Um, Dan Jurgens does layouts. Jerry Ordway, Cam Smith, um, Art Thybert, mm, Collar Tug, and someone <laughs> named Nelson does do finishes. Um, and then. Uh, Pinups by some other people: Dave Bullock, Howard Chaikin, um, Stephanie Rue, Coleman, uh, Drosofsky. Um, yeah, so this is this is essentially um, the story of how uh, the story of what the crisis survivors have been doing and kind of how they broke bad. Um, this is where the kind of infamous Superboy Prime punch comes from, where he he punches through the walls of reality and messes with continuity so much um, to to kind of explain stuff like Donna Troy, the different versions of the Legion, um, Jason Todd coming back to life, um, the different versions of the Hawks, all all of the the weird continuity shenanigans that DC had actually been trying to kind of like spackle over since Crisis on Infinite Earths ended. Um, I think there's a scene where the Doom Patrol like remember the Grant Morrison era Doom Patrol run somewhere in this. Like they remember Danny the Street and they remember Crazy Jane. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a scene. There's a scene where like Superboy Prime is punching the wall and you see like different versions of the Legion, and then you also see like the the three different or i guess not the three but three different uh doom patrols and one of them is the morrison version um but um i'm trying to think i guess this this issue actually does kind of go a long way i think to sort of making the the turn of superway prime a little bit more believable not that it really needs to be believable but like it tries to it tries to show that transition a little bit from him just kind of being this golly gee silver age character to a like murderer you know yeah. a even between murderer. three and four it's insane how violent superboy prime gets yeah and this kind of tries to smooth that transition just a little bit um and show how he's kind of been he's just like very emotionally immature and unstable and alexander luther just really eggs that on by showing him um basically his like parents and girlfriend getting 
killed over and over again. Um, but yeah, that, so that, there's that. Really, Alexander Luther is the the one I feel like that's a little bit harder to swallow because you know he is supposed to be, you know, he's from Earth Three. The 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 good guys are all villains, and the villains are all good guys, and he's you know he's the the son of Luther. And he's, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a story contrivance. That's fine. It like had to happen to make the story happen. Um, But I do do think about like, I don't have any stake in this at all. Like I I could not care less, but I wonder like people who grew up reading crisis on infinite earths and who read this were like very upset that these characters were made into villains. Um, I, I think for Superboy prime is not as big of a deal, but I think with Alexander Luther, like he is, He's such an important character. Sorry, rather, the important thing about his character is that he's a hero from on a planet full of villains, right? And this just undoes that. Yeah, you yeah, know? that's kind of what I was saying. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I think that that, you know, I, whatever. Again, I, I don't super care because I hadn't even read Crisis on Infinite Earths at that point, so I had no attachment uh, to Alexander Luther. But I, I could see that. Uh, miffing some people but it's also it's also funny that um you know he he kind of turns evil in response to watching the the surviving characters of the dc universe do bad things mm-hmm. um i kind of get it because the whole thing in, in the first crisis is that he like he is only like a day old like he becomes an adult like immediately Mm -hmm. uh and i can understand why like it then drives him insane that he never got to really live life and then he looks out and it's like people getting their arms chopped off and uh it's i buy that heel turn more than i do superboy prime for some reason like having the emotional intelligence of a rock sure yeah that that's a good point It, it, it if like 20 years of like resentment that you thought you saved the world because you just were born like a minute ago and were immediately told this is what you got to do. Uh, and then you saw that you could have actually lived a life if things had gone different. Oh, that's a good uh, point. There's actually a big retcon here um, where um, Alex thinks that he had two options of you know where they could have gone to escape the the end of the DC universe. And it was either heaven or hell. And he, he chose this heaven, but it turns out he wasn't actually seeing hell because dark side was seeing through his eyes in crisis on infinite earth. He was actually seeing through dark side's eyes as well and saw, uh, apocalypse, apocalypse. Yeah. and they could have gone to apocalypse and stayed in the DC universe. Um, which is a wacky retcon. Uh, that, that is a deep cut. Yeah. It also, also sort of if seems they ever so... wanted to set up the idea that if Lex Luthor's good on Earth three and his son bat is bad, if like Lex Luthor would ever have a good son on Earth Prime, and I'm glad they didn't do that. <laughs> yeah, what I was gonna say too is I feel like the problems that occur in their like limbo heaven area would be even worse on on Earth one in the before this like. You know, Superboy Prime would have parents that weren't his and a lorry that wasn't his. He can't just like stroll up and be like, "Hey, I'm your son." They'd be like, "No, you're not." You know, it's, well, it's you, not. It's you, not you really could argue, there. Brian, that if he was getting reshuffled into the molten continuity of New Earth 
at the end of Crisis on Infinite Earths, he it could have just slotted right in there as smoothly as um, Power Girl becoming an Atlantean. But doesn't this doesn't if I'm remembering proper correctly? Isn't it Crisis ten or eleven where the Earths merge and then this stuff doesn't happen until after that? You're right. You're right. It's just all, but it's all still like comic book nonsense. Oh, of course, science, it's, so. it's, it's all it's all bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. But you're you're not, you're not right. It's it's. I'm surprised that it hasn't been mined for an Elseworlds or a Dark Multiverse one shot. <laughs> Excellent point. Yeah. Okay, now can we talk about chemo dropping on Bloodhaven? Yes. Yeah. Okay, chemo dropped on Bloodhaven. Cool. Um, I remember when I was like really getting into DC Comics, I used to watch a lot of Linkara videos. <laughs> Hell yes. And I specifically remember him reviewing um, Crisis Aftermath, Battle for Bloodhaven. And uh, I've never read the book, but I did listen to the Linkara review. So, um... yeah. <laughs> Zach, you're based. Yeah. Um, if we've learned anything, reading Infinite Crisis will make you based. Um, so we, we do we find out, which we know now because Brian uh, read Secret Files before Infinite Crisis number four, um, that uh, Alexander Luther and Superboy Prime have been coming to Earth for a while, um, where they have kind of been orchestrating everything. They retrieve the corpse of the Anti-Monitor to build the, the tower. They kind of set all of the miniseries into uh, motion, and Superboy Prime gets the go-ahead from Alexander Luther to go track down Connor Kent. Um, we get... Uh, Booster Gold meeting up with Jaime Reyes. Um, let's see. Um, there, I wrote a note about something with Nightwing, but I don't know what it was in reference to. So probably his something. Ass. Yeah, something happened with Nightwing here. Um, Superboy Prime uh, goes to fight the. He, he goes to fight Super uh, Superboy, Connor Kent, um, but ends up fighting against the Teen Titans, Doom Patrol, and the JSA. And in the middle of this fight, we see the Spectre go to a new host, who I think is Crispus Allen. Is that the character's name? Yes. Yep. Okay, and this might be a good time um, after we go through this issue for um, James to talk a little bit about that Gotham Central issue if he wants to. Um but first, we have to talk about just, like, just the batshit fight that Superboy Prime gets into <laughs> where he just starts, like, punching people's heads off and ripping their arms off and just, and he just can't help himself. Um, <laughs> You're ruining me. <laughs> I just don't even know. I mean, like. It's part of what makes Superboy Prime so endearing is that he just can't stop murdering people and it's everyone else's fault. Well, he never like got to like really like practice being Superboy or <laughs> Superman because like he never knew to like hold back or whatever. <laughs> and I do like the entitlement that comes from Superboy Prime because he grew up in a world where Superboy Superman was like a TV show and a comic. Yeah. And so it like means more to him than it does Connor because for Connor Superman's just like a guy like his like shifty uncle who shows up sometimes. <laughs> compared sure. to like the big cultural thing that he was ready to inherit 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this leads to like, again, like one of the best moments I think in the whole series and, and also one of the like key Superboy prime tropes that he's just mortally terrified of flashes. Um, <laughs> because three flashes, Jay, Wally and Bart, the three flashes, the three flashes, <laughs> Alternate title to Flash Re- uh, Flash Rebirth is yeah. uh, the Three Flashes. Um, they they grab Superboy P- Prime and try to uh, run him into the Speed Force. Um, stuff just goes nuts here. So like Wally's about to run into the Speed Force, which is an established Flash trope um, that Johns had a big hand in. I think Mark Wade also. Um, did and this this idea of the lightning rod being a like emotional grounding point and so linda being wally's uh lightning rod he kind of reaches out to her as he's running and causes both her and their twins to be pulled into the speed force with him well he doesn't cause that she chooses that okay well yes but that's semantics no, I, it's, it's I, all it's, no, it's, it's all moment. like, OK, but it's all like, OK, yes, you're right. She chooses to go with him, but he, he like causes her with his powers to be pulled into the speed force is okay. what I'm saying. Yeah, but I, I didn't want the implication being that he's like, you're coming with me, babe. Like she <laughs> she she chooses to grab the kids. We're going on vacation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is basically what happens. Um, yes. So, yeah, they, they get pulled into the speed force and then it is just. I, I, I should note, I think at this point, Jay had to kind of like stop running because he wasn't fast enough. So it's just Bart and Superboy Prime and they disappear into the Speed Force um, as Barry, Allen, um, Max Mercury and Johnny Quick come out of the Speed Force to help pull Superboy Prime in, which Love is it. just a great moment. Um, I mean, I made fun of Vince on Twitter for really liking Max Mercury the other day, but this was a really good moment. Wait, Vince isn't on Twitter. Uh, yeah. Fuck you, oh, I meant Farmers yeah. Only. <laughs> Edit that out. Nope. What, uh, no, no, no. Uh, it's it's on Twitter. Shut <laughs> up! Stop! I will, edit, I will edit that out. Delete that. My word. Making a note. Making a note. I didn't. I now you're making me dox you. Why would you do this? Um, we find out that the speed force is gone from Jay Garrick. He has no speed anymore. Um, at the same time, um, because of the the machinations of Alexander Luthor, a new Earth Two forms in the sky, and all of the Earth Two characters disappear to go to that Earth. And issue four ends. Which is like an inversion of the there's a crisis issue where they wake up and uh, Earth 2 Superman is, I forget, is he in front of the Daily Planet or the Daily Star? Anyway, it's the it's the like it's the opposite of what happened in Crisis. I think. Yeah, sure. Yes. Yeah, it is. It's very evocative of that plot point. Mm-hmm. Which did make me think about how we talked about this when we talked about Crisis on Infinite Earths, how there are essentially like multiple arcs within Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yes. um, That would now be like year long storylines in DC Comics. And this is kind of like the end, not not the inverse, but like there are multiple arcs within this series. But because it's so it's more truncated, 
that these things don't get as much room to breathe. So they, I wouldn't say they feel like underdeveloped because they're also building off of a foundation that already exists, but that they're not as like momentous as they were in original crisis. I, mm. I would argue. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Well, let's do this. Let's, let's take a break before we get to the next, uh, the next section here. We'll be back in just a minute with more DC three cast. Hey, we're Panels in Motion, a monthly podcast where we read a comic, watch its movie adaptation, and figure out what went right, or what went wrong. We focus on a wide variety of non-superhero comics. One month will be an American independent comic, like The Mask or Kingsman. The next will be a European comic, like Persepolis or Tintin. And the next will be a Japanese manga, like Lone Wolf and Cub or Silent Voice. I'm a writer. I'm a director. And I'm a cinematographer. So we all have different perspectives on why an adaptation might or might not work. We're also a show where a discussion of Middle East education or the sexual revolution can take place alongside a discussion of the pros and cons of Jim Carrey's face. There is truly something for everyone. So check us out. Go subscribe to Panels in Motion on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Stitcher. And follow us at Panels in Motion on Twitter and Instagram. See you soon. And uh, we are back. Zach? Yeah, so um, in issue four, we talked about how um, the Spectre got a new host, which is a big plot point, I think, in Gotham Central. And James had mentioned that that was a really good tie-in. So why don't you talk about that a little bit? Sure. So if you've never got read Gotham Central, it's one of those comic books that will always kind of hold up. Uh, it's my favorite way of doing like a dark, gritty take on superheroes in that it's a real world thing of a police procedural, but they have to deal with like the fucked up shit of like superhero comics. Like the first arc is someone going like losing their mind because their partner got killed by Mr. Freeze and like the shame of dying to Mr. Freeze. And issue 37 is the big infinite crisis tie in uh, where. Everything's just going to hell. Renee Montoya and Crispus Allen are driving their car as seen in Infinite Crisis number one. The Rock of Eternity has exploded. Shazam has, like, trying to help fight. There's a guy named, like, the Fish Hook Boy who's, like, killing police officers with fish hooks. Uh, and it's such a great tie-in for Gotham Central because that whole series when you're reading it through is just about, like, people reacting to living in the DC universe. And that's the best ground level story um to like show like what people are going through as like the sky is falling atlantis is destroyed again all this shit's happening uh and then it's followed up with three issues that are just uh christmas allen trying to like tie up loose ends from gotham central uh there's a new police coroner named jim corrigan which is also the name of the specter's host but it's like supposed to be like an implied connection or a red herring or something uh, Chris Allen gets killed trying to investigate corruption. Renee Montoya uh, quits the force. And it's really interesting that Gotham Central is such a book about two characters, Renee Montoya and Chris Allen, who absolutely hate the world of superheroics. And then Infinite Crisis and 52 are going to explore them being dragged into that world as the specter of the question. Very good. Yeah, a lot of... I've never read past like the first arc of gotham central um but those are really good characters and a lot of good stuff comes af after this with with those things that you mentioned especially the stuff with the question and um i'm excited when we get to the the final crisis um revelations miniseries that has a lot of this stuff in it um yeah really good stuff so next we've got the ray and thanagar special um 
where we um, follow up on the the kind of giant black hole thing where um, Alexander Luther's hands are coming out of, very reminiscent of the hand at the beginning of time that Cronus sees. Um, we find out or explore more that Superboy Prime was the was responsible for the destruction of Thanagar. Um, a, a lot of you know the the Rand Thanagar stuff happens, but the the big part of this issue in my mind is um, Jade kind of sacrificing herself or letting herself die and letting her energy go to Kyle so he can become Ion again mm-hmm. and setting up for a bunch of guardian nonsense and, uh, and, and all the stuff that would come with like the emotional spectrum and all of that stuff. And, and John's as green lantern, which, um, interest Gibbons, you know, wrote the early chapters of green lantern Corps before Peter Tomasi took over. So he, he kind of had his hands in, in this as well. Um, but this is kind of like the, the last time Ion is kind of, viewed in the sort of like Judd Winnick Green Lantern Ion before it becomes the Jeff Johns emotional spectrum entity shenanigans. Right. Um, and it's aside from it being like another female character having to die to further Kyle Rayner's story. I think it's generally like a really good moment, especially when you bring in Alan Scott. Yeah. Um, and the whole time I was just thinking, man, I can't wait to get to brightest day and read James Robinson's JLA again. <laughs> uh, yes, of course. Yes. Um, yeah, this is, uh, you know, I, I, I think, unfortunately, Kyle Rayner, uh, you know, again, to, to, to reuse a phrase that James used earlier tonight on our prior episode, he's, he's kind of a himbo, right? And... Um, and he has had a series of bad relationships that go through all of his sort of run as Green Lantern. But because of that, unfortunately, there are a couple instances of characters either dying or being, you know, radically changed for the worse because of his association with them. Obviously, there's the fridging, the famous fridging of uh, Alex's girlfriend from the early Ron Mars run. And then there is this. But I think the difference here is that this is Jade had been a character for a very I mean for far longer than Kyle Rayner was a character you know at this point and sure. um and th- there is some actual like storytelling reasons for her death it's not just to push Kyle Rayner into being Ion again that is a that is sort of a side effect of her death mm-hmm. but yeah yeah R.I.P. Jade. Until brightest day. Until brightest day. It's funny how many characters die in this book. There's a only lot. Only to come back before yeah. Flashpoint and then to go away again. Yes. <laughs> um. Anything else about Ranthan, James or Vince? Not really. I have nothing to say about Ranthan. <laughs> yeah, I found I found those ish, the mini series and and this issue to be. Some of the driest stuff uh, that yeah. we had to read. Yeah, that's fair. Um, okay, 
Infinite Crisis number five, um, we open up with a big funeral scene for all the characters who have died so far. Um, we get kind of, I, this is like Zach and Brian Nip, I feel like. And I, I think we get these kind of bits in, in superhero comics every once in a while where Mr. Terrific and, and Ragman are kind of talking about uh, faith and, and God and higher powers in, in a universe with literal gods and, and higher powers in them. And it's not particularly deep, but it's, I, I, I liked it. Um, yes, I, I like this stuff too. I wish there was a book that went a little bit deeper with this. It, it, it all kind of comes off as, uh, as just like the guy you go to college with who tries to have interesting philosophical conversations, but only has read like a dummy's guide to Zen Buddhism. You know, mm-hmm. there, there's not a ton of meat on this bone, but yeah. I do, I do enjoy the hints that are there. Sure. Sure. Um, we get a, a scene of, um, Superman and Lois back on Earth 2. Um, we get Booster Gold and um, Jaime sneaking into the Batcave. Only, like, s- sneaking isn't, like, the best word because Booster knows they're going to be going to get caught. And they're, they're basically just trying to get help from Batman because the, the Scarab Beetle, the Blue Beetle armor, can uh, actually see Brother Eye, who is invisible to pretty much every other technology or, or resource, which is why they haven't been able to find it. Um, we get a scene where following the, the fight, the first fight between Connor and Superboy prime, where our Lex Luthor, um, Connor's genetic donor, um, is, is, has, has collected Connor and is kind of rehabilitating him. um, I I don't remember this happening here at this point in the story, but I guess based on my notes, Lois dies here, the Earth 2 Lois. Um, yes. Does that sound right? Okay. Yeah, so she she, she dies. Because at this uh, point, um, they've already remade Earth 2, right? Because yeah. uh, Superman brings her there and says, like, isn't this dope? We're back on Earth 2, and expects uh-huh. her to be fine after that. And yes. then she, she's not. Yeah, she's which it's... It's never quite clear exactly like what is wrong with Lois if she's just she's dying like of old age. Exactly, that's what it seems. But there's there's this implication that there's some other kind of like metaphysical um, aspect to it. Like it's three godlike characters not realizing the one person they brought with them is ninety years old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so so she dies, and then something happens that I had completely wiped from my brain um from my initial rereading some like so much so that like when it happened i actually was kind of like taken aback like oh oh um which is uh earth 2 wonder woman's ghost basically it's not really her ghost yes i Um, forgot this too just appears to our wonder woman to kind of be like her spirit guide um she like she like uh gives her the invisible plane yes yes she gives her the invisible plane and basically like flies her to earth too um which is a very good moment um i i liked this bit a lot um superman our superman um hears earth 2 superman's scream when lois dies and flies to earth 2 as well so all uh, one our wonder woman and superman both kind of convene on earth 2 and are the two supermen uh 
get into a big fight because uh, Earth 2 Superman thinks that it is the fault of Earth 1 that Lois has died. And uh, they recreate the Action Comics number one cover with the car smashing. And this is where that uh, last Superman crossover that I talked about, the one uh, that Joe Kelly writes uh, with a lot of artists, um, is basically taking place during this fight. And it's essentially every time they punch each other, reality shifts and they switch bodies and relive an alternate life where they are the other Superman and try to do things differently. Um, So it's wild. So like our Superman goes to earth to reveals his identity during the house committee of uh, un-American activities or whatever the HUAC um, Mm -hmm. McCarthy hearings, he reveals his identity to get the JSA off the hook. And then basically just like runs the DC universe by himself. Like there are no heroes after that. It's just him and power girl. And he gets up to crisis and just gets owned by the anti-monitor. And then earth two Superman is on earth one. And he basically, so he and Batman team up and fight Lex Luthor, who we find out has cancer from, using the kryptonite ring too much and Clark offers to keep him alive basically to like pay off his crimes. He will save his life if he will like work to make humanity better. Then when uh, identity crisis happens, Superman starts trapping everybody in the phantom zone. Then when um, he uh, gets too power hungry, Wonder Woman tries to kind of tell him to stop. So he starts the elite with with like Manchester Black and all of that stuff. And they basically become the new authority. Cue Brian Bendis. Um, (laughs) And then they essentially go to war because Wonder Woman teams up with Maxwell Lord and Lex Luthor. And Lex Luthor betrays everyone, frees everyone from the Phantom Zone, turns them into Omax and blows up the Earth. And Superman is the only one left alive. And then it just ends with them still fighting. So that's that's that crossover. It's it's really wacky, um, but that that all happens in the events of Infinite Crisis number five. Um, Can I say one thing about this issue? Yeah. So in this issue, uh, Earth Two Superman strongly implies that the reason that everything is going bad, like you said, is the fault of our Superman, but specifically that our Superman has, like, corrupted uh, the Earth, which is something that that both Alexander Luthor and uh, Superboy Prime say at various points. I think it's mostly in the Secret Files issue, but there's this idea that the heroes have corrupted the Earth, and I think you're supposed to read that and say, like, no, Earth is so hard it corrupted the heroes, but I feel like that's never argued well enough in this would you guys agree with that that like that i the you when you read this you can kind of find yourself agreeing with the crisis survivors because of all the shitty things we've seen the heroes do thus far like i think there's no because i know there's writers brian there's writers and artists there's real people who wrote these stories that corrupted the earth we're actually the ones who corrupted them oh i don't disagree with that but i just feel like there's there's this sort of feeling among the crisis survivors that 
that this is the fault of of the heroes. And I feel like it, in a better written comic, it would be clear that either that is or is not the case. But this just kind of leaves it ambiguous and not. I don't think it's meant to be left ambiguous. This isn't supposed to be something you you stew on. I think this is just a poorly developed plot point. Sure. Yeah, it. I I feel like comic books are so beat you over the head that they would have them. They bring back the multiverse or all the others and stuff, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's just weird. Yeah. If if Grant Morrison had wrote this, he would have had Superboy Prime like look at the reader and point and say, "You killed Jason Todd by yep. dialing this hotline number." <laughs> exactly. Um. So it's wild that Jason Todd come back comes back because of Superboy Prime and then never. Oh wait, no. Jason Todd's probably in Countdown, isn't he? Fuck. Yeah. Oh, Jason Todd. <laughs> it, yes, he is in Countdown. He is. Uh, <laughs> Boy, is he in Countdown? Yeah. <laughs> um. But then we find out he was dyeing his hair the whole time. Yes. Because <laughs> Bruce is for, for normal kinky. reasons. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the funniest part of Hush is the re- is the retcon that Jason Todd did show up for a second to taunt Batman, and then left. He just went home. Because <laughs> there's the scene where like he comes out. Hush. There's a scene where they're at a graveyard and they're like, "Who could Hush be?" Uh, and then Hush takes his mask off, and it's Jason Todd, and he goes, "It's me, Jason Todd. I'm Hush." And then he like walks behind a great gravestone, and out the other end of a gravestone beca- uh, comes a Jason Todd, except it's Clayface. So it was supposed to be like a psychological taunt to bring back Jason, uh, but then it's revealed that no, that was Jason the first time. Uh, he just swapped places with Clayface and then went home to game. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite good. Um... Just wrapping up this issue, um, there's there's this line um, where this bit where um, Earth Two Superman is kind of saying, you know, Earth Two is the perfect Earth, and our Superman says a perfect Earth doesn't need a Superman, and that kind of snaps Earth Two Superman out of it. Facts um, and logic. Facts and logic. Yeah, he he did. That's what happened. Um, we we cut away to. Uh, Alex and the antenna and we get um, this kind of explanation of you know what all the different characters and what earth they represent or, or you know what that means and that's where we find out the bit about Kyle Rayner and Earth 8 and all of that um, and then this is like the most doomsday clock bit of the whole thing I think the the Superman thesis where um, you know kind of making a perfect earth everything comes from Superman um, which again you know Jeff is kind of playing with these ideas many years before he would just really kind of go all in on them in Doomsday Clock. Um, and then the issue ends with um, with just infinite Earths in the sky just kind of crashing into each other. Dick and Connor are kind of converging on where the antenna is. And in Tokyo, an much older Bart Allen and Superboy Prime in his iconic uh, anti-monitor armor uh, come flying out of the Speed Force, and that's the end of the issue. Iconic. It is iconic. I think this is, is an excellent issue. It's a great outfit. Doesn't make. I don't. I don't understand why he would wear it, but it's a great outfit. Yeah. He, he says so. He says like, "Oh, this is. I made this like the anti-monitor's vest, right? Isn't that? Or he." He took it from the anti-monitor or something like that. He mentions 
the inspiration coming from the anti-monitor i think in the next issue yeah i think so too yeah and we don't ever get like a clear explanation of kind of where they've been or what they've been doing i don't think at least not in this series but it's just it's been implied that the flashes have been keeping superboy prime in prison for a long time um which is why bart is older now and, and also wearing... they took breaks so they could change costumes yes they did yeah bart's wearing barry's costume it's good um moving along because we still got we got a little bit we're 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 really going in on this yeah um part of it's me because i took very meticulous notes um yeah talk about an infinite crisis oh i know i never do this um i never take good notes that's usually vince's thing um you're right uh infinite crisis number six uh we're in space blue beetles looking for uh, Brother Eye, we, we get the first tease about Green Lanterns and Blue Beetles not getting along. Uh, there's a really funny line where Batman is talking to Booster about how he's dealing with uh, Jaime, and Batman says, you have no idea how to talk to kids. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, they find Brother Eye. We see a bunch of different Earths. Um the magic users all go to Stonehenge to try to summon the new Spectre, and Spectre comes, and he's definitely a men's rights guy because he instantly uh, turns to Saf- Star Sapphire and says, you, "You've you've wronged and killed so many men, you must die." Yep. Um, but this is not the Carol Ferris uh, Star Sapphire. It's, it's important, important it's to note that. Yeah, it is important to note, and I imagine Johns was just getting her out of the way because he had other plans for. Star Sapphire and Green Lantern. Um, um, Quick, quick side note. uh, Alex Luther finds an Earth called Earth 25G. Um, (laughs) Not 5G, which we would see in Doomsday Clock, but 25G. It's the 25th generation. Um, Nightwing, Superboy, Wonder Girl uh, go attack the Tuning Fork. Uh, Luther tries to merge Earths 2 and 3, but Firestorm hits him with uh, positive matter energy, burning his giant hands. Um, Black Adam is freed, and he (laughs) pushes um, Psycho Pirate's mask and eyes out the back of his skull. Um, Superboy Prime comes back and fights Connor again. Um, Brother Eyes destroyed, uh, but Bruce uh, is saved by Hal Jordan, and then the Monitor Tower is destroyed. New Earth gets reformed, and Connor Kent dies. Connor's death is very reminiscent of the death of Superman, um, in that he sort of fights this this you know equally dangerous uh, villain basically to a standstill. And then dies in the arms of his lover after being told he saved the day. Yes. Although Superman doesn't say like, yeah, isn't it cool? (laughs) Or whatever Connor says as he's dying. He says, ain't it cool (laughs) news? He does, yeah. Yeah. Ain't it cool news? Moviepoopshoot.com Moviepoopshoot.com Uh, okay anything else on number six no No, you're good you're good anything else no okay 
Um, next, we've got the Villains United special. Um, this is the society basically dismantling all prisons, which is good. <laughs> they went full prison abolition. <laughs> yeah, they yeah. did. I, I, okay. Again, in comic books, uh, comic book logic, all political decisions that seem good are actually bad. Um, it's, it's reverse logic. Um, arguing, I, I love to argue that you shouldn't defund the cops or abolish prisons because you would let loose Dr. Psycho. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. You're, you're going to let the Joker vote. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. It's good. It's good. Um, so yeah, all the prisons are being opened up and Oracle and Martian Manhunter kind of, uh, rally every, you know, C, D and below list tier hero because all the important ones are busy doing other things or are missing or are dead. And, um, all of the villains from the prisons are, um, kind of amassing, uh, in Metropolis, um, with the idea of that they can destroy Metropolis, they'll kind of undermine Superman and everything he stands for. Um, and the Secret Six is like tangentially involved in this issue. They show up sometimes, but really they do almost nothing. Um, Black Adam fights a Nazi. Talia pours he fights hot coffee. Nazi, please. He, okay, he is still a Nazi. Um, what I said yeah, is not. Yeah, then he becomes the president. <laughs> oh. Start the clock. Oh my gosh. Um, you're interrupting me before I could talk about how Talia pours hot coffee on Dr. Light's dick. <laughs> that is true. Um, which is what happens. Um, and uh, the. The villains free Doomsday from the center of the earth, and he is at the Metropolis fight, and he's going to show up later. But the Secret Six take no side; they stand, they they take no one's side because no one's on their side. This, of of all of the special issues we got that tied up these miniseries, I feel like this one has the least to do with the initial series, and also the least to do with Infinite Crisis. Uh, it gives the sort of like reason why there's a big battle in Metropolis. Yeah. Which when I was first reading it, when I first read this the first time, I only read the first seven issues, and I just thought, oh yeah, of course there would be a battle in Metropolis. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's something that makes sense that does not need a forty-page issue to explain it. But again, it it was fine. It was enjoyable. Um, I like the warden from Twin Peaks: The Return showing up. <laughs> as the dude who snipes uh what or he he like snipes one of like the like he's he, he feels bad because he allowed mr c to coordinate with the secret society to break out of prison uh but he later gets got by tim roth who is for some reason just depicted in this issue as tim roth <laughs> it's good stuff um, then we've got the OMAC project special, um, which follows up on. We cannot let Israel have the OMAC. <laughs> we can't. You just can't. They will put it in the ecstasy they sell in Tel Aviv and spread it across the world. <laughs> you just can't let it happen. Um, so, yeah, so Brother Eye lands in Saudi Arabia, and the only people brave enough to go try and get it before the Americans are the Russians, the Israelis, and the Chinese. The Chinese. Um, and 
Uh, Sasha Bordeaux uh, kind of goes rogue. She's told by Batman that she has to go get Brother Eye or he'll never love her again. Um, and then they never speak again, right? I don't know. I didn't know they spoke before this, actually, so <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, at the same time, uh, the U.S. government is kind of dealing with Checkmate being a thing and talking about how Checkmate's going to fall under U.N. super you know, supervision, but right now they're still in control. So they set up Amanda Waller as the new black King and fire is involved for some reason. I don't really know why, but she's cool. So it's, it's fine. I just don't really know why she is. It's implied because she was, she did some bad things before she probably overthrew COVID. Yeah. She, she was involved in some government coups. Definitely. Um, but yeah, Essentially, like this issue is just uh, Sasha finally destroying Brother Eye and not becoming a full robot woman to set up for her role in Checkmate. And also, this whole issue is just setting up Checkmate. Yeah, more or less. More or less. Um, anything else before we get to the, the final Gabagool? Um, no, again, this just continues what I keep saying, which is like, Brother Eye is a huge part of this story, and yet Brother's Eye Destruction comes in this random one-shot. Right. Well, if you're just reading Infinite Crisis, though, you assume he is destroyed. Like, you don't think, like, oh, brother, where did Brother Eye crash? Yeah, right. I didn't really That's care, true. like, what That's world true. governments got him. Yeah. 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 You, it, you just assume he blew up in space. Right. So he got way back to his home planet. Essentially. Yeah. Actually, 100%. Yes. Um, but that's not what happened. Um, I really want to read Checkmate now because I know that Alan Scott's in that too. Yes. Um, Where's the Kingdom Come armor? Oh, does he really? Yeah. No. He gets all he wore, sad like, about Jay time. dying, so he like becomes Sentinel again and starts wearing the green, uh, green uh, Kingdom Come armor. But Jay doesn't die. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Do you mean Wally dying? Uh, Jay no, does lose what? his powers. No, you're right. Or or is it um, Bart dying? Because Bart dies not long after this too. That does happen eventually. Yeah, but not in this. Wait, are you saying is Jade or Jade his daughter? Oh, Jade. Oh, Jade. Okay, yeah, no, I'm Alan's sorry. daughter dies, and he gets oh, sad about it. I thought you said Jay. As <laughs> Me too, like Jay Garrick. Yeah. No, 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 no. That's okay. Fine. That's yeah, fine. Jade. Jade does die. She did yes. die. That happened. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, well, I'm a huge simp for the Kingdom Come armor, so I'll read that. Uh, Infinite Crisis number seven opens up with the battle for Metropolis and two Supermen fighting Doomsday. Uh, so it's going to be okay this time. Uh, Superman one and two. Superboy Prime tries to restart the whole DC universe by flying through Oa, which is like the most tenuous, like grasping at straws. <laughs> idea of like comic book cosmology um but it makes sense for him that he would think that uh, the the thing that james mentioned earlier with breach getting destroyed and captain adam coming back that happens um <laughs> the words thin green line come out of guy gardner's mouth <laughs> that's that's so perfect and yep. seems extremely ahead of its time even though I, I know that was a phrase back then but like oh my god <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And and the Green Lantern Corps is authorized to use lethal force, which is going to end up becoming like a big plot point in Johns's Green Lantern mm-hmm. uh, not too long after this. And we will talk about it. Um, uh, speaking of lethal force, Batman pulls a gun on Alex Luthor because he thinks that he has killed Nightwing. Um, but Diana stops him uh, from killing Luthor. Um, two more years to do that. Yes. Wait, what? He's got two more years because he does that at the end of Final Crisis. Oh, okay, yes, mm-hmm. yeah, the gun. Yes, you're right. But then it's justified because it's a it's a god weapon and Darkseid's just an idea. <laughs> yeah, and oh. he's and Lex Luthor Jr. is a ginger. We can we can he doesn't have a soul. We can just kill him. It's fine. <laughs> and also in the New Fifty Two, Alexander Jr. is uh, actually Baby Darkseid. Oh Christ. <laughs> Wait a second. In the New Fifty Two, isn't also um, isn't Alexander Luther somehow Shazammed too? Well, yeah. So because Lex Luther, Alexander Luther Senior of Earth Three, yes. in the New Fifty Two, gets Shazam powers in his mazaz. Mazaz, yeah. And and has a baby with Superwoman, and that baby becomes the new vessel for Darkseid. Yes. Fuck. Comics people. um yeah so uh superboy prime gets flown through krypton's red sun and by the other two supermen and they crash land on mogo um superboy prime kills earth 2 superman but gets captured by the green lantern corps which is going to be really important later um we find out that bart has lost access to the speed force and so but Jay, uh, Jay can still run because his metagene has activated. Because all so, he drank all that heavy water. Yes, <laughs> yeah, he did. Um, then uh, Alexander Luther gets killed by the Joker because Joker didn't get invited to his party. Um, and then we get the setup for the one year later, um, fifty-two kind of status quo thing with with the Trinity kind of going on their own personal spirit journeys. And the issue ends with Superboy Prime kind of vowing uh, vengeance and being a huge edgelord and edgelord and, and carving <laughs> a Superman symbol into his chest. Um, Bruce takes Dick and Tim. They go on a boat. He says that his friend Jeffrey has an island that they can all relax <laughs> at for a bit. <laughs> How hack are Jeffrey Epstein jokes now that it's been like more than a year? Yeah. It's still a fair play on this podcast. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, and that's Infinite Crisis, baby. <laughs> so my question yeah, for more you guys... Yeah, like Finite Crisis. <laughs> <laughs> my question for you guys before we get out of here is, I feel like this is one of the archetypical DC events of the 21st century. It's one of John's greatest hits. But in terms of, as an event, just reading it top to bottom... What are your what are your overall thoughts? Are are you are you pro Infinite Crisis? Is it did it hold up better or worse than you remembered it? You know, just sort of how do you feel about it now? Having just oh, I loved it. it. I thought it was fantastic. I actually didn't like it very much the first time I read read it, and I dislike it now for completely different reasons. Like now, I don't like it for all just the weird like two thousand mid two thousands nonsense, and also the the like cracks that I see in John's writing a little bit, but. I appreciate it so much more and I wish comics were like this still. And 
just the build up to this is insane and how intricate it is. I I loved it. I really enjoyed reading the main series. It's an insanely intricate buildup uh, that could only happen in a cohesive DC universe where, for the most part, I wasn't like blown away by a lot of the comics I was reading where I was like, this is a good story, this is a good concept. But it was so like just comforting to be in a consistent DC universe that like, yeah, sure, it kind of was like what I was reading as a kid. Uh, but ever since New 52, it feels like a lot of DC stuff is not in continuity with each other anymore. Yes. Uh, and being able to go back and read a thing where it's like, everyone's sort of on the same page was very, very refreshing. Yes. Vince Same's yeah. also true for Marvel, if I'm going to be honest, but... Yeah, <laughs> yeah yep. Um, I kind of feel the same way. Uh, I definitely enjoyed it more this time than when I read it originally because I have the... I have a better sense of DC's history, which I feel like you really need um, to enjoy this on a maximal level. Um, I think... What about... Well, a- the wo- what about oh. a, a Predacon level? <laughs> uh, yeah. That was um, a bad Beast Wars joke. I got you. I got you. Um, the one thing that really surprised me on this reading that I didn't remember from when I read it all those years ago was how little the, the Countdown miniseries actually actually tied into the main event. Like The, the connection is really threadbare for, for just about every one of those. Um, there are various levels of enjoyable and it doesn't really, it was just surprising to me because when, when I was reading it, when I was younger, I thought like, oh God, the, okay, this is this massive DC story that they're building to. And that's what the event is going to be about. And then really the event is about something entirely different. Yeah. Both from, grievance. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Both from a plot and a, and a theoretical level. It's operating on some completely different plane, um, which I really enjoyed this time around. The one thing that I I think I enjoyed less, or I or I I remember being more favorable about that that I wasn't as much this time around is the art, which I think is is really inconsistent, and not just not just because there's a bunch of different artists jumping in and out of the main event, but also I think like. Um, even as recently as, uh, what was the, uh, our world's at war, uh, Jimenez was doing some art on some of the tie-ins for that, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. I think that stuff is light years better than what he's doing here. And I, I don't know if that's because here he has to juggle way more, but, um, it could also be like was... a change of, change of, uh, colorist or change of, um, inker perhaps. Yeah. could have been, it, I don't think it was terrible, but there were times where I thought, like, this is not the Phil Jimenez that that I know and love. Um, but other than that, I really, I really did enjoy this quite a bit. I, I miss, just like you guys said, I, I miss when DC felt like this. Yeah, kind of echoing what what everybody said, but especially what James said, I feel like I am more nostalgic for this era, or rather. I have more positive associations with this era of comics than I do with this particular comic. But I love that that there was this period of time when DC would have this event where almost all roads led to Infinite Crisis. There are so many tie-ins to this. 
There are so many things that spun out of this. You know, 52 spins out of this, the whole one year later thing. I love all of that. But I don't know how much of that is necessarily... Uh, or rather, I don't know how much we should attribute that good stuff to the success of Infinite Crisis. If that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. It, it it You appreciate it more when you've seen how much lower DC can get in terms of stuff like the New 52. Yes. Yes. How much would this cost, like, to read all of Infinite... And when I mean all, I mean <laughs> all the countdowns, JLA, Crisis of Conscience, all the tie-ins, any comic where an OMAC shows up... That has to be minimum like two hundred, three hundred dollars, right? Unless you have a DC Universe subscription, then it's however much a month. Plug. Yeah, but like if you're like into your two thousand, it's two thousand five. Life is great. You just got out of the, the Departed, and you were the only person <laughs> cheering the theater when uh, Leonardo DiCaprio screamed the F slur. You're leaving the theater, and you go down to the comic shop, and the guy's like, "You want a really good story like the Departed? Yes, please." Uh, we've got Infinite Crisis. And to dedicate, like, a year of your life to, like, $300 worth of comic books, most of, most of which you don't even really, like, remember that well, uh, is, like, a thing that can only be achieved in a pre-recession America. Yeah, I definitely didn't do that for Convergence. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> we all know What's Convergence? <laughs> exactly. Uh... uh, <laughs> uh but to your point, James, I feel like at that around this time, I would say up till the new fifty two, I was I, I was not buying everything DC was putting out. But when stuff like this happened, I feel like I was catching all of it. Whether I was buying it all or, you know, reading online about what happened, I, I, I was following the entirety of the DC universe. And I feel like you really haven't had to do that in a very long time. No, everything feels very disjointed, not even just in a way where it's like, oh, um, Doomsday Clock isn't canon, Three Jokers isn't canon. But from the start of the New 52, none of the comics were that in conversation with each other. Or if they were, it wasn't really that interesting. Yeah. Uh, And then it's all just become more and more disparate uh, compared to what felt like a shared universe uh, around like like 2005, like between 2005 to like Flashpoint. Yeah. Well, yeah. even if it's not good, it's like comforting to like see these characters that you like. Yes. And yeah, that's that's absolutely right. Like, I think at any given moment in in DC or Marvel, there's like you know, a handful of truly good or great books. But I feel a lot more nostalgic and fond of even the mediocre books I was reading back when the storylines were converging and people were popping in and out of one another's books and there felt like felt like there was a real status quo. Uh, yeah. and, and I do think, I think that's that's worth a lot in the world of, like, superhero comic books as... as cheeky as it is when i was reading this stuff i was like 13 i was way more ready to like buy into all this multiverse stuff and it did feel kind of real like the idea that earth prime was a universe in the universe uh that there was this like grand cosmology but as the books go on and that continuity gets deteriorated i don't give a shit as much like scott snyder has done like 
two separate events now that try to like map out the cosmos of the new DC, and it's like ah, it's, it's it's just editors fucking up. It's not like yeah. this grand opera like it once was. Even Multiversity, which came out after Flashpoint fucked everything up, is just like um, there's 52. Here's like six of them. We're all gonna die. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. What I was gonna say is I feel like I am. Uh, if you're going to be reading superhero comics, like if, for me, this is not for everybody, obviously. If I'm going to be reading superhero comics, I'm only interested in a shared universe. Like, that's why I, I I, have lots of friends who will tell me that Invincible was a really fun superhero comic. I had no interest in Invincible because I have no interest in this, like, one book telling me a superhero story. For Ooh. me, superheroes is is this big connected universe that's dumb and fun and doesn't you like the big messy scale yeah i do that's 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 interesting though because like i've never read invincible i'm not like super interested in it either but my understanding is it is kind of like its own mini universe and like things like the hickman x books right now which Mm -hmm. are taking place essentially in their own continuity bubble for all intents and purposes because marvel's in kind of a similar situation to dc right now I'm all in for that, like uh, something that is like tight and focused, but still feels big in scope. Um, That's actually the really good things about um, Hickman's X-Men and Immortal Hulk is that both of them get reflected in the other books. Like in the other books, people are like, hey, have you like heard from Bruce Banner lately? Oh, yeah, he's trying to break the world and shit. <laughs> or like whenever like there like there is a status quo change that could co this world's power. Uh, compared to like all the Jason Aaron Avengers stuff is just completely ignored. All the Dan Slot Iron Man 2020 stuff is completely ignored. And I'm sure those books could be good, but like they don't feel like they matter as much when everyone is full on ignoring them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, and it's funny like Marvel was doing the same thing that DC was doing at this time um, because like you had Bendis. Like Bendis was doing what Johns was doing and vice versa. You know you. Mm-hmm. Uh, DC kicked off with Identity Crisis and went all the way up, whereas, like, Marvel kind of kicked off with um, really, like, Avengers Disassembled, I guess, is kind of like that moment, which were uh, really kind of doing the same thing. They were, like, breaking down the heroes and then setting up, like, a big story. Um, and then that went all the way in, to its course. Um, and then comics just kind of stopped doing that. Yeah. It's a shame because I feel like, you know, one of the things that I have I have tried to get across to many people as an adult who still reads superhero comics when I'm asked why, why do you still care about those characters? To me it's like I can't think of another form of media that goes as big as when DC or Marvel involves their entire universe in it. Well, it's Brian, totally let me tell you. Thing. Let me tell you about it's a little a one comic piece. called I One Piece. I know it's One Piece. I know. <laughs> I read the first three books of One Piece. Oh well, talk to me when you get to the volume seventy. Yeah, I won't. So <laughs> there we are. You could also just admit that you like comics because it's a sunk cost fallacy at this point. <laughs> yes, but I, yeah, that's well, right. I'll. Uh, <laughs> I have some off the air comments about that, but. Um... Honestly, the the reason I still like comics as an adult is is literally the watching the the mechanism at play more so than the than the stories themselves. Even like like that's 
why Hickman's X-Men is the most fascinating thing because I, I'm I'm enjoying the watching of it unfold more than I am any specific plot point or anything within it. I, I like the artistry. I like the structure, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and and when DC or Marvel is on top of their game, it's when all that stuff is is working together and towards some common goal that I don't even really, I'm not even really that invested in, in where it's going, but I just like the artistry of watching it happen. Um, I, 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 there's something about the process of comics that I just still am in love with even more than the idea of superheroes itself, if that makes any sense. Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun, gentlemen. Um, yeah, this was, Thanks for having me. Oh yeah, James, this, this was super fun. Um, you said this last week, but in case folks didn't hear it last week, uh, where can people find you on the internet? You can follow me on Twitter at Bionicle Fondler on you on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Jim Jam Johnston, which I don't I don't use Instagram. Uh, if you are uh, in the intersection of enjoying comic book podcasts and regional theater, uh, I'm an apprenticeship. I'm an acting apprentice at the Actors Theater of Louisville, Kentucky, and we'll be doing online content shortly. And you can find two thirds of us on Twitter. I am at Brian is an app, and I am at Wilker Fox. If I'm it... at. Shut I'm... up! Stop. I'm, I'm going to bleep that as well. If you need to find Vince, he is uh, shooting me and Zach in an alley because we don't let him play our Twitter games with us. <laughs> and uh, until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you again, James. And uh, next week we'll be back with uh, a look at Seven Soldiers, which. I cannot wait to talk about. That's the best one. Cannot wait. So, thanks, folks. Bye. Vince, I'm going to protect your online identity just like everyone did drill.